I'm your host, Erin Groves, and this is where your positivity journey starts. Welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys, and welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Erin Groves, and I have another very special guest today. He was mentioned briefly in Steve's episode a few weeks ago, and I have Nick Sunderman on the podcast today. Welcome, welcome. Say hello. How's it going? I didn't know I was mentioned. <laughs> yeah. I was. I got. I had a shout out. Yeah. Hopefully, good. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. Okay. He was just talking about some of his friends, and he mentioned you, and I was okay. like, "He's coming on the podcast, and here you are." A few got weeks it. later, it made the cut. <laughs> Okay, I need to go back and listen. <laughs> he made the edit. Um, so Nick is an entrepreneur, former pro baseball player turned entrepreneur, done many things since then. And I'm not going to take his limelight. So Nick, introduce yourself. Who are you? Nick Sonderman. I think you, you, hit, <laughs> you did it. Uh, Nick Sonderman. I uh, grew up in Dallas, Fort Worth. Moved around for a little bit. Back, uh, baseball player. Biz, I guess I hate to say businessman, but entrepreneur. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, just day to day. So, yeah. He does a lot. He's humble over here. Day to day, deal to deal. <laughs> day to deal to deal. I like that one. So, the reason that I had Nick on is he has a really cool story. So, started with baseball, kind of decided that the road was coming to an end and turned entrepreneur into a retail shop. I'm again, I'm not going to steal your limelight. So kind of walk us through the beginning. So coming from the Cleveland Indians organization, moving into business, walk us through that transition and the light that went off and you're like, it's time to move on for baseball and into something new. Right. So I don't know if this is a, a positive example or a bad example, something not to do, but <laughs> I... You know your trajectory in, in, in baseball, if somebody's a baseball person. It's it's on its way to ending if you go from a starting pitcher to a relief pitcher to a relief pitcher that's seldomly playing. So you've got options. Baseball's long. You sit there for three or four hours a night. And I was not playing well, and I've got a handful of buddies that I'm sitting around in, in the dugout or in the bullpen with. And you know times are bad because we would literally in a game, we would start talking about what's next. And so the game's going on. You're like, oh, man, I hope we win. And you're like, yeah, what are we going to do for a job after this? <laughs> we would joke and we would give each other jobs. I would make it up and say, oh, this person's going to be a dentist or this person's going to be a talk show host. Or we would literally just joke about people's next jobs. But I think, unfortunately, I think there's a little bit of truth in that and that I used to, I still say all the time that, you know, if you have a plan B, you don't love your plan A. And, you know, I'm not saying that things would have been different in baseball if we had had a different attitude and maybe said, let's not think about that. Maybe we should think about working out or getting better, or whatever. But we were definitely on to plan B, which, you know, we had given up on, on the baseball part. But then, you know, I, I do think that had a little bit of time to to sit there and think about I sort of had already made my mind up that I wasn't going to be a, a, a really prototypical job guy. But I didn't think I was going to have the type of s traditional skills that would really, you know, at that point in time, I definitely wouldn't go back to med school or law school or anything like that. So but had been chipping away at school and taking hours in, in the off season and thought, okay, let me just try to wrap school up with a general studies degree or something. And then 
you know, start a career as a, as an entrepreneur. I had no idea what that was going to be though. But, um, yeah, so just got really, really lucky in that, you know, sports in, in a lot of cases for a lot of people, it will open doors. And in my case, that was, you know, definitely true because I went straight from, you know, getting released and, and baseball ending to, I had a baseball academy that my agent owned and, just in between classes, I'd, I'd go over there and do lessons for guys and end up meeting a, a ton of really good people. And so I had one guy that took an interest in me, and he was an entrepreneur, and he was actually running a, some version of a private equity fund. And uh, he liked me and was throwing different deals my way and just asked me what I wanted to do. You know, obviously, he knew I didn't want to do lessons forever. But um, one day, I sort of came to find out that he owned a big apparel licensing production conglomerate and it you know just like a lot of deals they were doing some would go well some wouldn't go well and decided to part ways with that business and they were just kind of piecemealing selling the stuff so they sold some of the licenses they sold some of the real estate they had a a large amount of production equipment so that was screen printing equipment embroidery equipment labeling bag and tag different stuff like that and I was really really close with my high school baseball coach and my sister was a school teacher and so I remember thinking, man, maybe I should buy a couple screen printing presses and some embroidery equipment and just have a nice little side hustle. You know, thought maybe just get this in place. I I knew enough about the way that school vendor lists work that I was like, maybe I can go to Dallas Independent School District and get on a vendor list to just do production for them or Fort Worth or whatever, same thing. So I called my high school coach. I said, hey, I got a chance to buy some of this stuff. If, you know, I don't know if you get to pick and choose who you work with, but if you do, you know, do you think I should do this? And he said, yeah, you know, he's like, it's all bid work, you know, the stuff you're describing. So you got to be the lowest bid. But if you do, then I can choose those bids or whatever. So anyways, I go back to this entrepreneur and say, hey, is there any chance you'd sell me some of that stuff? And he was like, oh, don't do that. I have so many other businesses that are way better that, you know, that thing's a dump. It's terrible. It's never going to make any money. And I was like, well, your version of not any money is different than my version, version you know, so I may still give it a go and see what happens. He's like, have at it. Here you go. So I ended up buying, I don't even remember, a handful of screen printing presses and, you know, dryer and whatever. And then basically didn't know anything else beyond that. I just thought, okay, I'll call some people and tell them that I'm doing this. And, and you know, I guess mistake number one is I, you know, I didn't do your traditional due diligence to really even think about what type of business I was getting into. And the seasonality that would come with it. I think that was probably like the first mistake was maybe I got the stuff all set up at a really good time and it's February and I know a lot of track coaches and baseball coaches and softball coaches and I'm calling them all and like, hey, do you want me to do your warm up gear? Do you want me to do your uniforms? Do you want me to do this or that? And everything was good. And then all of a sudden spring sports end and you've got late spring, summer, and it's like there's nothing going on. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I now have people that are you know, I'm responsible for and make a long story short i did it wasn't really in my dna i didn't like sitting on my heels and waiting on on things to come and the more i asked around and talked to different people in the industry it was just that's just kind of the way things were done it was like at that time this is you know 14 15 years ago at that time like there weren't what turned out to be probably some of our future competitors the custom inks of the world and you know different things like that they didn't exist really at all And so no one was doing any business to consumer marketing. So I was just sitting there thinking, like, how can I go from a service-oriented business that's just kind of on its heels waiting on a customer to call? How can I 
create a brand and then and then turn this into something where we can put buying opportunities in front of people whenever we need to. So if we're slow for a week, let's go be more aggressive with our sales and our marketing and then smooth out a lot of the seasonality and then just be a lot more aggressive and assertive on trying to go get business. So um, and this is where, you know, it's the corniest cliche in business, but we're hard work and opportunity meet. We were just very active, very active and and spun this program up and didn't even have a name for it at the time, but started to really realize, OK, like if we put together, uh, you know, an, a, a web store, a PDF, email attachment with basically a catalog where kids can order and the parents can order and the school can order. And then we split the money with the with the schools we can really displace and disrupt a lot of the traditional fundraising. So like I know when I was in high school, we had to sell discount cards and cookie dough. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you're trying to be like the macho, cool athlete and you're lugging around like four tubs of chocolate bars. It's just a weird thing. I'm like, I don't even know how this ever started or why this was a thing. College athletics and colleges in general have so many different revenue streams that are totally applicable to high schools, but somehow high schools never really had the infrastructure to say, okay, we should license this brand and we should sell these products and get royalties and like all of the things that are in place for to S for SMU and Baylor and all these schools to make money. High schools just didn't really, other than the, the handful of like really, I think just resource rich schools, they didn't do that kind of stuff. So anyways, long story short, just went on a run and became the largest high school fundraising business in history and went from just, you know, what I thought was going to be a lifestyle business in Fort Worth and maybe serve greater like DFW area schools. You know, we ended up selling stuff to, I think, probably 15, 16,000 different schools. We would make 40 to 50 million custom products a year. So we ended up with, I think, really the first of its kind, the first real Nike Adidas, Under Armour, Jordan brand programs where we could take Jordan brand merch that Michigan gets and we could put together and brand your your high school with that stuff. Like we were the first real program or business that ever had something like that. And, you know, I've done a lot of different businesses since then. I sold that business seven years ago, done a lot of different things since then. But I definitely think when my career is totally over that that business, just the, mm-hmm. the simple fact that the better that we did, the customer did as well. Like if the customer didn't do well, they didn't have a successful experience or a successful campaign with us, then we didn't, we weren't successful either because basically the more that they sold, the more money they made. And then the better we did at producing and fulfilling all those items. And then the orders that came in that were relatively small, we didn't make much money on them. So it's, I've always, I've told a lot of my friends in other industries that just the way that our business proposition was structured. I wish that there were more things like that. You know, it's like if you went in to get your car fixed and the faster and the better job they did getting it done, the more I'd be willing to pay, you know, but if everything was kind of a, even a more free market system where it's like, Hey, I'm going to pay you based on how good of job you do. I think in a lot of industries, people would be trying to do a better job as opposed to just checking boxes and punching clocks and, that was really our business is we had a, we had a, a huge investment in the, the people that we worked with because they didn't make money. We didn't make money. And so, you know, just over the course of really from 2007 and until today, I mean, I haven't been involved in the business for a few years now, but it's still thriving, doing great. It's still one of the predominant ways that every high school team in the, the United States raises money. So I think that's, that's been great. Uh, 
Well, it's so interesting because you mean you touch on a few things that are common themes and things that you hear a lot of entrepreneurs say. But the first thing I want you to touch on a little bit more is this is, I think a lot of listeners out there, you you think that you have to have this elaborate plan and this business plan that's a hundred pages long with XYZ to build this huge, you know, multi-million dollar business. And you're a testament that you're like, I just needed to buy a couple things, go out and start calling people and the rest filled in its place. So kind of touch on that from your perspective of just doing right. and the rest will fill in behind you or you'll yeah. figure it out. I mean, right. you figured it out and you had, I mean, like right. no idea when you walked into it, you're like, t-shirt's a t-shirt. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I, you know, I definitely don't want to claim that the way I did it is maybe the only way or the yeah. best way to do it. I think there's there's, there's probably other, there's other businesses and even businesses that I'm in that the mistakes that I made would, would, they'd be killer. It would have ended the business. Fortunately, you know, I think you and I talked about this earlier that if somebody has interest in starting a business, I think they should do it yesterday. You know, the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. Um, I write little notes to my kids all the time, you know, just it sounds kind of morbid, but, um, you just never know if you're going to get around to saying the things that you want to say yeah. or, you know, God forbid you're not even around to say them at all. But I, I've written them both notes and tried to structure things in such a way that they'll be heavily incentivized to start a business immediately when they get out of school. Because I feel like, you know, kind of going back to answer your question, part of, you know, me not having a business plan, I could fail, you know, and I didn't want to fail. Uh, but, you know, I didn't have a significant other. I didn't have kids. If we made a couple mistakes, it wasn't do or die. We could yeah. we could pivot, we could regroup. I don't know that I would have been as persistent or risky if I'd had so many other people that I'm having to come home to and say, "Oh, hey, yeah, we can't do that anymore because such and such didn't work out." You know, a I think depending on who you are and what you're going into, you may or may not have to be more calculated. So I've got a I've got a a, a particular business that I'm in right now that we need to be precise. We need to be very focused. The the type of business that it is, the people are the the people that work there, it's very, very costly. Um and you know, we don't have the margin for error that we did in, in my previous business. But I listen, I think regardless of how good your business plan is, you can spend four or five years and you think you got everything figured out perfectly and something's gonna go wrong. You know? Um mm. And, you know, you your ability to quickly recognize, like, what's going on around you, like, what things did you think were going to work that aren't working and vice versa, the quicker you figure that out and the quicker you're able to pivot and and sort of calibrate, the, the better off you're going to be. Like, nobody's business plan is 100% perfect. Now, I probably am the extreme example of, like, had nothing. I didn't even, I didn't even know – you know, I had no idea how many student athletes there were, how many schools there were, what the market size was. And to be fair, I don't think anyone really knew. You know, yeah. I mean, Nike and and Adidas and a lot of these people that they they now directly sell into schools to to address this channel, which you know, sixteen years ago, seventeen years ago, that wasn't even a thing. I think people were like, a booster club president is buying hoodies and selling them in a concession stand or somebody's making, you know, bedazzled shirts, you know, but I don't think anyone was ever really stopping and going, okay, hang on. There's 7 million kids playing varsity athletics and they've all got, you know, two to three supporters and the average spend is 120. I don't, no one had ever stopped and gone like, oh, 
hang on, uniforms, school uniforms are this big a business, and then spirit wear is this big, and then there's a whole other category that's, you know, oh, this is another $5 billion industry. I don't think anyone had ever really done that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's great to go in and know who your competitors are. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the one piece of advice I love to give everybody, I give it to everyone I work with, and I, you know, I remind myself of it almost every day, that whenever you're going into a space, you know, you got to have a really good reason to want to go do it, number one. But like once you're into it, and and this is what you do and this is how you're making your living. Best thing you can do is make a list of things that someone could do to disrupt you. What things make you nervous? If your biggest rival or your biggest competitor did this, this, and this, it would scare the crap out of you or put you out of business. But know what things someone or anyone could do that would make your life miserable and then beat them to the punch and go do those things. You're basically creating your own to-do list. Because if, if someone did that, that would put you out of business, then you need to figure out a way to go do those things to make sure that you're the first to go do it and no one can do that to you. And so um, I think we did that a lot. And if you do that, then as a byproduct of that, what happens is you're just consistently raising the bar mm-hmm. and you're like raising the standard for for your customer or whoever your buyer is. You're, you're trying to exceed their expectations. So every year if like, oh, man, we've got to – no one can be faster delivering product than us. Like if that's a vulnerability and someone can deliver product faster, then you need to figure out how to get product faster. If pricing is a weak spot for you and someone's going to come in cheaper, then you need to find a way to increase your your buying or, you know, get lean or just, you know, trim the fat in your organization and put that put that saving onto the customer. Whatever it can be, if it's creativity, design, it doesn't matter what it is. You've got to find a way that you can bring more value than than the next person and then just constantly stay out in front of that. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge for sure. I, I, that's the first time I think I've heard of writing down, I guess, you know, it's not industry specific, but it's, you know, if you're serving to a customer, so if you're selling some sort of product, how can they come in and disrupt your, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of business owners out there listening. They're like, yeah, duh, you know, we do that. But I like how you put that and you're just getting out in front of and being proactive Right. I think a lot of people can be reactive instead of like, how can I get out yeah. in front of this or how can I serve, you know, get ahead of something that's coming? Right. Yeah, that definitely requires some creativity and vision as well. Just like with anything, the more specific and detailed that you can be in, in quantifying what that is. So don't just say like, oh, we got to be better at customer service. What does that even mean? Right. <laughs> so you got to if you can't quantify it, if you can't measure it. Then, you know, that used to be my signature on my emails is if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Otherwise, like if you're just running around and you're not using metrics and you're not using things that are quantifiable, then you're actually managing primarily through emotion, which is not consistent. It's going to be erratic. It's not scalable. So first off, you need to have a way of quantifying whatever is taking place. Customer satisfaction, that promoter score, delivery times, you know, patient success. How many? what percentage of our patients are healing? Versus this other, whatever it may be, whatever the standards are, you need to have the most accurate way of measuring those, identifying those, and then really trying to go out and beat your competition at those. And I think the people that are really successful in life, it's not always the cheat code to happiness because you go looking for bad stuff is more than looking for good stuff. But, you know, I definitely think one of my keys to success was like if we had a great day, definitely want to make sure that you pat people on the back and you celebrate those successes. But 
I definitely spent more time going and looking for what we did wrong and what we could get better at. And so you, know, you got to be careful because that can burn people out. And I certainly did that. Um, but I, just having this mantra of we can't let someone be better than us at X and then putting something quantifiable next to it and not just being broad and generic and saying, oh, we got to have the best product or we got to be the best at customer service. We got to have the best relationships. No, put something next to that statistically that you can measure and then and then go go achieve something. So I don't know. That's that's it, it, like I said, it can be stressful. You're either did or didn't. You know, <laughs> I like to be a did organization and not a not a didn't one. Yeah. Well, I always say it's the difference between those that are good <clears throat> and those that are great and above that are the ones that went out and did something and the one that did. I mean, I'm sure you've heard a lot of people come to you with ideas or like I want to do, I want to do, I want to do. And how many of them actually did? Like, how many of you like? Oh, I want to lose ten pounds. Okay, but did you actually like? What are you going to do to do that? Like, are you going right. to get up early? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? And a lot of people just leave out those steps along the way yep. too. And I like them. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Yeah. I like this. I, I wrote that down. So as someone that was managing a team of people and, you know, building your business, how did you coach yourself? I mean, you kind of touched on, and I do this with the podcast, like you, I launch an episode, what could I have done better? Like I'm always asking people for feedback from Mm -hmm. your perspective. A, how did you manage that mentally for yourself and the people around you? Um, Yeah. Just, just meaning like, where did I find the, um, the, the inspiration or motivation to, to yeah to keep going especially during you know and something i touch on a lot of this podcast is like so when you're having a failure you touch on like making mistakes so when you're mm-hmm. getting to that point and if you have an example give one of like this is a mistake that we made and this is what i did after that to grow right to this amount and then also when you're managing a team like how do you guide people through that i think a lot of people get stuck around like oh if i make this mistake my, my world's gonna end when in reality it's not right always the case yeah uh, I mean, I probably need someone to answer that for me. <clears throat> You're asking that in a, in a unique week. Yesterday, it's um, the week. So I'm still in, obviously, a lot of different yeah. businesses. And I run a, a kind of a venture capital incubation deal where we fund startups and different deals. And this week is a good example because it started off terrible, um, just Right out of the jump, the the one project that I'm spending the most amount of time on right now, um, I think hopefully this is where just my emotional intelligence and experience is, is playing a part because I definitely know I would have handled this differently 10 years ago. Short answer, 10 years ago, brute force. You know, my, law- <laughs> my lawyer has a, has a saying that, um, you know, whatever whatever card you have, that's what you have to play, right? And so he used to say that, like, lawyers, if you have a really good fact, then just lean on that fact, you know, and, and bang on that fact. And then if you have a really good witness, then you bang on that witness and, you you know, that's your strength. You lean on that witness. And he was like, and when you don't have anything, just bang on the table and be really loud. <laughs> and I think about that all the time. It's like, you know, sometimes you're just banging on the table. You're like, I have no idea what's happening right now, but... I try, hopefully I, that's not really a thing anymore. Like I don't have to do the whole fake it till you make it or any of that. I like yesterday going back to that is a really good example that the week started off really bad. And I think all, then this was not a quick fix. This is not something where it's like, oh, this is a bad Monday. It was like bad news about a project that was going to have major setbacks to the business. Um, and just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
newer business, a startup. And so that can mean, okay, wow, we're going to burn through so much more capital than we had forecasted. And we've got this big chunk of clients that they're expecting this by a certain date. Now we're not maybe going to meet that. And, and so I think I would have gone into fight or flight mode and try to figure out how to do all this stuff. And like I said, just brute force, like 10 years ago, it would have been pull all nighters, do all this at no cost, like kill all the margin, but just find a way to survive. Just find a way to tread water. I think just maybe age and wisdom, I don't know, something. I just said, okay, let's just slow everything down. A, the week's probably going to get worse. So don't, no one think that we're going to fix this today and that everything's just going to miraculously be all right. And, and, and also let's not pile on, like, let's not make it worse. Cause I think like, that's probably the way I would have handled it in the past would have just been like, just blowing people out. Just like, Hey, nobody's going home or bringing food in. We're going to, you just, we're not leaving until this is done and fixed. And, and then, you know, and all you really did then was just rob Peter to pay Paul. Cause then the next week, something else wasn't perfect. And so I think just. It, being able to like have the experience of saying this is just going to happen. Like if you if you're involved in a business, I mean, it's it's fitting that we're here today. I mean, one of the richest people in the world is Mark Zuckerberg, and what they said, you know, he had like a significant drop, you know, on paper to his net worth yesterday, just all because of the lost ad revenue and this and that, and then the mm-hmm. damage of the perception of of the network and you know whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're you know 30 years old or 90 years old trials and tribulations are going to happen. And so I think just when you're younger and you've got this like big, you know, rah-rah organization, maybe you can pull everybody in and pull all-nighters and go crazy. And for this particular business and where I'm at right now, where that group of people were, I think the best thing for us was just to get really, really organized and come up with a game plan and then just try to make sure that all week long, like, hey, you know, you own this, you own this, you own this. And let's make sure that by Friday, like we're in a better place, but it isn't going to be perfect. And then just sort of just, you know, providing a sense of calm and then leadership and just a game plan. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, hopefully the end result is the same. We're going to get both things accomplished and all of the issues resolved. And but I definitely think, you know, 10 years ago, much more frantic, much more brute force. This one was probably a lot more you know, just game planning and strategizing and delegating. And so, you know, I don't know. It's definitely, I think, uh, anybody that would say, oh, yeah, I'm a master at, you know, crisis. Hopefully I never have to be a master at crisis because that would mean like <laughs> you've been involved in so many crises that you became a master of it. But, you know, I think it's just, it, it's almost like a boxing analogy. If you're going to get into business, then whether you know it or not, you're getting into the game of problem solving. If you get into boxing, you're getting into the game of getting hit in the face. If you don't want to get hit in the face, don't get into boxing. If you don't want to solve problems, don't get into business. I like that. And I saw something or heard something the other day that was talking about um, entrepreneurs and how he's like most of the signet or the difference between ones that were really, really, really successful and those that just made it or maybe fell off was handling and managing stress. And I think something that you just touched on there was like mindset around, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, guys, you know, damage control, like this is what we need to do right here, right now to fix this issue. And then now it's like learning from your mistakes, learning from things that maybe didn't land back Mm -hmm. then, which also I think all great leaders have. I think it's hard 
you know, if you're making the same mistakes that you made 12 years ago now, we're probably missing something in between there, like growth and not acknowledging or growing from the things that you, you know, regret. Right. No, definitely. You know, (laughs) I don't feel like I'm old. Right. But, you know, there's an old saying that like energy is wasted on the youth. And it's so true because it's like you just want for one second to have like the energy to pull in, uh, you know, a 16 hour day. And, but to be able to do the 16 hour day with the mindset and the experience that you have now. Right. I mean, yeah. back then it was like we had to work 16 hours because half of the day was probably mistakes. Now we don't make near as many mistakes, but nobody's working 16 hour days. Yeah. So, you know, it's you know, the mental part of it is huge, though. I, you know, I'm, I'm not scared to say it. That I think the best move that ever happened to me and in, in my life, both like personally and professionally, was I learned that talking to someone, whether it's like a coach or a therapist or just a really, really good friend, whatever it is, if you have a consistent outlet and someone that you can go to, I mean, I, my advice would be someone that's a true professional. If you had access to that, that would be you know definitely my advice. Um, because I did that. I learned to do it before things would even go wrong. Right. Cause I think in a lot of cases, if you wait until you're in a really, really bad place or a really, you know, just dark place, then putting yourself back together is going to be harder. And then obviously on the way down to that place, like you probably did more damage to the people around you. So, you know, that is a weird area that baseball really did help me because I didn't grow up in the type of home or environment where, like, we were going to go talk to therapists. That was not part of the the drill in Fort Worth at that time. <laughs> um, so, but baseball we did. Like, when I was with the Indians, it, you'd have to go see the, the, the Cleveland Indians had an organizational psychologist. And you had to meet with this guy, like, on a weekly basis. And you're, I was too immature to even know, like, how to use that. I mean, now I'd be like, oh, my God, what a resource. I can't believe someone's giving this to me. But I mean, like a, a a Yale grad doctor that would sit there and talk to you about your life. And and then and I'll never forget, like, he would ask. He, I was, it probably took me 20 years to really understand the point of the question. But he would say, bases are loaded, full count, bottom of the ninth. Take a, You take a step off the rubber for one second. Take a big, big, big deep breath. And now you get yourself motivated to throw this pitch and get this out. What did you think about? And I was like, uh, I don't know. And I remember answering and I said, um, you know, my, my, my family, like my parents, like I want to go back and I want all the days and hours throwing the baseball with my dad. I want to throw this pitch to make my dad happy. And I was like, I was thinking I'm in a, like a no judgment situation where he's just like, there's no wrong answer. And he's like, that's the wrong answer. I was like, oh, my God. I didn't know this was like, I thought I was in therapy. Like, I didn't know why I was getting it's judged like that. true or false, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, he, but he was like, no, that's the wrong answer. And I was like, okay, I didn't know that was a thing. And he, and he was like, well, no, you're going to, that's just, you can't be in a situation like that and be thinking about external motivators. And I don't know if this is true or not. But wow, as I've is- lived, as I've gone on in life, like later on, it definitely made a lot more sense to me because that's basically his point was it's very short lived. You know, well, what's going to happen when you've now been in that situation 50 times and you've already had a bunch of success or, you know, you've made money or, you know, you can't keep going. It's not healthy that every time you need to make something happen, you go to a dark place. 
I don't know if it's true or not. You know, I watched the Michael Jordan documentary on ESPN, and he seemed like he liked to go to pretty dark places. So my psychologist <laughs> could have been wrong. You know, that could have, that, that could be a bad piece of advice. But I, but I think in terms of business, you know, certainly compared to sports, business is a longer life. You know, no sport plays 365 days a year, 250 days a year, like you go to work or whatever. And so I think if every time you had to really get yourself motivated, you had to go to like a kind of a dark place or, you know, I'm going to do this in spite of this person or to make this person proud or I'm going to, you know, it's I, I think it is fleeting. I think you have to be more about his point was all you should be thinking about is your best pitch is a slider and you need to put that slider on his back right foot. And if you do that, then we win the game. Take a deep breath and just think about executing that pitch. Don't go anywhere else. Because otherwise now you're playing off of emotion and emotion is going to, it's going to fail you, you know, like one day it's going to work. Next day it's not going to work. He's like, all you need to think about in that moment is just relaxing and executing what you need to do in that exact moment. Don't bring anything extra with it. So anyways, I do think it's a really good piece of advice because I think oftentimes in life, it's like, if you're now bringing all this other stuff in, it's a problem. But back to the whole point of the story was I, I learned how to talk to a psychologist there and he and he did tell us back then like hey if you learn how to have a relationship with a professional like this you'll go to someone your whole life even before things go wrong and if you're talking to someone and you're in sequence and you've got this cadence with someone and you're talking to them all the time you'll avoid ever getting to those really 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 bad places because that person will start to pick up on trends and you could say okay well I, I reacted in a way that's not normal. You know, what's going on? Well, maybe you're not sleeping enough. Maybe there's something that you're compartmentalizing that you're not addressing. Or, you know, I think it just helps to go somewhere and have someone that you can talk to. And definitely as a business owner, I, you know, it's, you know, it's a rewarding job. And the way our society has been set up, I know there's a lot of like judgment to people that are making too much money. And, you know, I, I don't work hard, I, play hard. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I don't have, I don't really, you know, I don't have a position on, you know, if somebody says, oh, Elon Musk is worth too much money. I, I'm not smart enough to answer that. I don't, I don't know what is too much money and who's right is it to say that. I, I don't know anything about that. That's not, that's not for me to judge, I don't think, right now. But I do know that um, being a business owner is lonely. And I think that, you know, if, if you're doing it in a real genuine manner and, and you appreciate the people that work for you, you don't ever want to be responsible for losing someone's job. And so if you take that seriously, if you're like, okay, I'm going to be a provider for these people. I'm going to help try to put these people in a position to better their lives. Um, and then, of course, as a byproduct of that, if those people are continuously making more money, you probably are as well, you know. But I do know that there's a lot of drives home from work. You're driving home and you're, there's not really anyone else in your organization you can call. And you're kind of on an island and... It's, you know, so having some sort of professional outlet, someone that you can go to that you can trust that has maybe been there before or whatever, just I think having somebody to talk to was definitely, you know, helpful and beneficial. And we used, I had a a lady that worked for me forever and she was, I attribute all of my success to her. She was the head of HR, but she did so much more. She understood operations. She was sort of a lean Six Sigma minded person and but really understood, you know, just the human spirit. And she used to always tell me all the time that without naming names, that we had people in our company that were oxygen givers and oxygen takers. And she's just like, hey, you spent too much time with the takers today. Like, 
you need to go around someone who's going to put some enthusiasm and energy and put something back into you. And I think that obviously extends way beyond work. You know, I mean, there's, there's friends, there's, there's, we all hate, we all hate to admit it, but there's someone in all of our families that like when their name flashes up, you love them, but you're like, Oh God, here we go. You know, it's like, <laughs> and then, you know, when that call is over, you're like, you, maybe you weren't even tired, but when that call is over, you're tired. You can only have so many of those people around you in a day. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's good to identify the oxygen givers. Your oxygen, I think some of the people that put the most energy back into me and make me feel the best, they don't give two shits about business. You know, like I just have friends that are just, you know, they're just always present. You know, they're not in this race of trying to be the best at something. You know, maybe they've got a, a particular skill set or trade that allows them to to kind of look at life a little differently than I have. And and we just get together and hang out and they don't care. I could have had the most successful liquidity of entertainment. They don't care. They're not even going to ask. It doesn't, doesn't come up, you know. And then four hours go by and you feel like a million bucks, you know, because of the way they made you feel. So I just think you definitely need to have people in your life that, you know, don't take things too seriously and can, can you know, put energy back into you. So. That was such a good, I, you almost made me cry at one part. Jacoby, you're an ener- energy taker if they're out there, if you're out there listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Steve, yeah, Steve, you're the best. He's hilarious. Yeah. You touch on a lot. So the yoga teacher in me is like, I see, <clears throat> and, and energy is definitely a real thing. You can feel it when you walk into a room and you know, like this this person's feeling judgment or this person's doing this or like, does this person actually believe in me and want me to be successful? And, you know, as I've kind of taken this call entrepreneur route with the podcast, like you hear it a lot that it is lonely and like you don't have someone to turn to and you feel like there's a lot weighing on your shoulders. And it's crazy that the first thing that you said is finding an outlet. Cause I think there's a lot of people out there who a would never admit to that mm-hmm. or b be too scared to go that direction because a lot of times it's an ego thing like oh I don't want to go or ask for help but at the end of the day I mean it's not especially when you're dealing with you know for you you have a family you have kids there's just so many external things but the first thing I wanted to touch on which I thought was really interesting is the difference between an internal and external drive and this is something that I know is I've noticed personally when I'm doing something to please something externally, it's not as successful or doesn't resonate as much. So for you, you were doing baseball to please your parents. And we, I just did an episode with Lou who was an Olympian and he was talking about what he recruits people. And he's like the people that come because, and they don't love it. It's not their dream. The last a year or two, if it's their parents dream or whatever it is externally, like, Oh, I want to be a D one athlete, whatever it is versus the people that come on and it's like their dream and they believe it internally. They're the ones that you're seeing at the top. So for you, baseball seemed like it was more of an external drive was business more internal or kind of walk through that, um, from your perspective. Yeah. You bring up so many good questions. I don't, I don't even know that I have the answers to them. You know, I, (laughs) It's funny because as you were explaining that, I don't know how much you followed the NFL, but Steve, if he was here, he would he would know this story. But the the NFL is is infamous for when they're drafting guys, they love to ask. The, at least in the last like ten years, they've loved to ask the question: How much does this person love football? And it'll become like a really big buzz thing that people are talking about. They're like, "Oh my God, so and so tested off the charts. We love him, but he doesn't love football." And then all of a sudden, you see that guy <laughs> plummeting down draft yep. boards. You see and hear it all the time. It happened with a kid here locally, Miles Garrett, you know, because they said that he had a lot of interest and 
I think he was pretty outspoken in the in the draft process and saying that he didn't plan on playing a really long time and that he had a lot of interest outside of football. And then people freaked out, you know, and there's been a lot of guys do that. They almost start to take if someone has all these other interests or if someone's really, you know, kind of a renaissance man and like multifaceted different things, they start to turn that into, you know, reasons not to take this person. And, you know, I think that's Miles Garrett is so freakishly talented he really may not. I do agree that if if person A and person B are very equal in ability and then, you know, person A just wants it more, I'm going to bet on person A. Mm-hmm. But if person B is head and shoulders way better, as long as they don't hate what they're doing, <laughs> I think you really have to, you know, you, you know, you've got to have some sort of equation there to value all those things equally. So, you know, now... Having a colleague and someone that you work with every day and maybe talent is not quite as big a factor. You'd love to work with people that want to be there. You know, you want to go to dinner with people that want to go to dinner with you. You want to, you know, you want to spend time with people that feel the same way. And we've all been in situations where, you know, maybe someone doesn't want it. And that's a, that's that's such a grind, either as a as a partner or uh, as a manager, when you're working with someone and they truly don't want what you want. I mean, Kind of like what we said earlier. I mean, you got to get out of that yesterday. You know, I I don't know that I played baseball exactly for my parents. I, I wish you, you were asking the question. I just, the wheels were spinning. I, I really don't know. I want to be great at everything. I don't, and I don't want to be great because I want to be better than you. Um, that's, that really, truly, I know that sounds convenient and it sounds like the right thing to say, but I really don't. Like, I never think mm-hmm. I want to be better than, it's not personal. Like, I don't want to be better than this person. I don't want to be better than that. I want to be the best of my ability. I want to know that and maybe there's a little bit of ego in this, but I just want to know everything I had, I gave it, I gave it my all. And I, I do think that if I pick to go do that, I already summed it up and I think it's something I should be good at. So if <laughs> yeah. I'm saying I'm going to go do this and I'm going to be the best, it's not that I'm going to be better than you. It's that may happen, but it's only because like, I want to go do this and I'm going to go do whatever it takes to be successful at that. And I don't, you know, and I don't claim that that's a good thing. You know, I don't, I don't think that's the recipe for a really happy life because, you know, this sort of results performance oriented mindset is, you know, that's, you have to be wired to live your life that way or not. And I don't. You, and if somebody's not wired that way, you're just not gonna, you're not gonna get them to to see through that lens. So, and you know, I, I've, I've said it to so many friends of mine, like when talking about our kids and different things that I don't. I like I, to your point. I don't know if my dad. My dad was an athlete, played college football. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know. Definitely, times were different back then, and I can remember some really just quiet awkward ride homes you know where i did not play well and and he was pissed like like furious and i can remember like definitely not wanting to let him down and um that's a natural reaction yeah yeah, and and just thinking i don't like losing i don't like letting people down you know i gotta get better you know and and for me it all worked i i life is a crazy simulator this is just day to day i don't know but it all worked out for me the best way possible. i had the best parents for me and like what I needed and it's worked out really, really well. Um, you know, 
I don't know if that's the best thing for everyone. You know, I think if you did the exact same thing with me, with someone else, that may have brought out the worst than that person. So, you know, I think you just have to be, you know, the, the internal, external motivating factors. I think all of us, there's a little bit of gray, but, you know, I don't know if you saw the, the Michael Jordan documentary, but there's just an unbelievable scene where they tell the story about Michael Jordan and he, he's, you know, I, he's kind of starting to reach the, the top of his career and he goes out and he's, he's got a game against a rookie and this kid for the, I think it was the Bullets, has like a, an amazing game, like one of the best games anyone's ever had against Jordan. And and then Jordan tells people that on top of that, that this kid was trash talking and said something like walked by him and said something kind of crazy to him. And and then he got himself like they played the same team again the next night. And all night long, he just kind of just kept bringing this back up. People were saying like, you could just see him getting angrier and angrier. And then he told a reporter and then told his team like, hey, this kid scored 37 points on me and then trash talked me. I'm so mad and I'm so much better than him. I'm going to score the same number of points last night he scored in the game. I'm going to score that in the first half. And sure enough, I think the kid scored like 37 points. And at halftime, Jordan had like 39 points. And then, it, But the craziest part about it was it turns out that the whole story was fake. The kid was scared to death of Michael Jordan. He never said a word to him, never even made eye contact with him. But Jordan was just such a psycho about like needing to find something to want to win at that he just made that up and was like, okay, I'm going to make sure this never happens again. And then just got himself angry and then went and did that. And, you know, it's hilarious. You know, now, again, if you think about that, if if you think about that and you now try to apply that to like a... 40-year working career, that's going to be a tough person to work around every day. You know, I think it goes back to what our team psychologist said, that it's like more about, you know, this is your podcast. You want to make sure that, you know, the details of your sound come through better and the topics are, are just right on point more. Like just execute the details of your vision to to go make this the best that you the, of, of what you can and the things that you have. If you do that, then just focus on that. You don't need to, right before the show airs, go to a really dark place. I don't know. Maybe it works. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I feel like that stuff works really well in sports because you yeah. play, like, 18 games and 60 games. But it's like, you know, think about driving into work 250 days a year and then doing that for, like, three decades. Okay, I can't, I can't get mad that much. <laughs> yeah that's true but it's you touch on another thing too previously that was talking about like the way your brain is wired and it's funny i think there's a lot of people and this is something that i've noticed about myself is that i'm always trying to be better and i think sometimes it's 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 at a disadvantage because i i'm it sounds bad, but like you're never satisfied. Like, and I'm sure this is something you can attest to is that like you hit something and I'm like, okay, what about more? What about more? And I know one of the guests that was on, he like opened a bunch of super successful uh, edible rangers fr- franchises. And he was talking about like for him, like they'd hit, hit a number. He's like, okay, well, our next number is this. And it's just that like constant. I think it's from sports. I don't know what it is. But that's just how it was like raised and like how I am. And it's hard when you start getting kind of caught up in that like race 
yeah. mentally and you're really beating yourself like and right. that's what it is and that's how it is for me in the podcast like i mean there's so many good podcasts but i you're competing with yourself i think at yeah. the end of the day like the only person you're really truly beating is yourself it's different you know if you're out there and you're an athlete if you're playing basketball or something that's 610 and you're 55 okay obviously we're going to have a little bit of genetics that you can't control um so i thought that was interesting and then another thing is emotion versus logic and then we touch on a lot in this in business and kind of taking that back for you and over the years, I'm sure maybe you started making decisions early on that were more based off of emotion or you're a guy. I feel like guys are more logical. Kind of touch on that and how you, I think sometimes we respond to fear with emotion. So is that something that you catch yourself doing? Or if there's an example of a time that you reacted emotionally and the outcome was negative? Every day. <laughs> Every day. Every day. <laughs> Right before we walked in. Um, but to your first point, though, you know, I I definitely think that um, the 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 more question is is I, that's probably the one thing I have spent the most amount of time thinking about, because just real candidly, like everyone or most people do have like a number in their head where you're like, oh, man, like, you know, whether you're joking with your friends, if you had blank you know what would you do right and then you kind of have this number you were like that's a number that you know i would never worry about money and everybody's number is different and it's all their own right but then if i've had 50 friends hit that number i didn't have one friend stop <laughs> so you're exactly right and i think but what happens is there you know we we think about things as if they're they're binary and and okay this is this and that is that and the reality is there is no neutral in business. So what happens is like if it's your, you know, the edible arrangements, right? What happened along the way is your friend realized like maybe 25 was the goal. We we're going to get 25 stores. But he realized that stores are either growing and they're getting better and I'm gaining territories or I'm losing them. There is no middle. And I, and, and I don't know how to change that. That's the world that we live in. There is no neutral. No one is just like, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to stop at this. And then every single day, everything from employ employees and supply chain and inventory and real estate, there's not one single day that everything is on autopilot. Every day there's something that like this wasn't a problem yesterday, but it's a problem today. And this wasn't, I didn't think this was going to be a problem tomorrow, but it's a huge problem tomorrow. And so if you think I'm going to get to that goal, you're acknowledging that I'm going to now start winding down. Because you're either getting better and you're reinvesting in yourself and you're reinvesting in your business or you're now you're, there really is no neutral. Yeah, there's no neutral. And, and and I'm not here to defend like all of the richest people in the world. But I can promise you that in the first five years of Amazon or the first five years of Tesla or the first five years of Apple or the first five years of Nike, I promise you those guys were not sitting around saying, I'm going to be the richest person on earth. I'm going to be worth $186 billion. I'm going to be worth $97 billion. I swear to you, they weren't. <laughs> Anyone that's saying that, that yeah. those guys were claiming, I'm going to be worth X, they're, they don't understand the way business works. Now, did they? Did someone need to make that much money? Probably not. Is that a thing that's a little bit out of whack? Probably. But what happened is, is you you got on that, that roller coaster you know, and you take off and then it, as you get good at something, 
it just, you know, it speeds up and all of a sudden, you know, I'm not saying that along the way there's not intent. There certainly is. I mean, you're never going to be the biggest and the best at something or do a trillion dollars in sales at something that you didn't have like crystal clear intentions of doing. But you you earned the right to do that by providing something that people wanted. So if people weren't responding to this, they weren't looking for this, this wasn't a void that you were filling, you wouldn't even have the opportunity to be making that money, right? But you don't set out and say, I'm I'm doing nothing, I have nothing, but I'm going to be the richest person. Like, no, that's not logical. It's like going back to your point about logic and emotion and these things like that's, I think people set out to, to I want to, you know, I want to be the best at this. I want to be, this doesn't exist. I want to create this. And then, and then as that journey takes off and you realize, well, I can't sit in neutral and I don't want to go backwards. The only option left is to grow. And then the ones that grow really, you know, the fastest and the, and the biggest, we talk about them and we read about them because this, that's what happens. I mean, somebody's going to make that money. Someone's going to be the, someone has to be the richest person in the world. There could be four or five that are right there together, or there could be one that's way more than the next. But, you know, over the span of our lives, that that person is going to change 10 times, 15 times. And that person is a byproduct of they did something at the right time with the most amount of volume and repetition and velocity, and people wanted it. And we could bitch about it, but people are, you know, I bet two-thirds of the people that are bitching about Jeff Bezos still use Amazon. So it's like, <laughs> you're in control of that. Stop yeah. doing it, you know? Yeah. Um so, I, you know, I don't know. I, 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 I do hate that there isn't a neutral. I wish there was an easier way. I, th- I do. Obviously, I didn't grow up in the 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, but I feel like it was easier to have a small business or a, or a, a family lifestyle business in that era than now. I think, you know, I always tell people now that the, the runway, the uninterrupted runway that you have to go run a business is shorter than it used to be. You know, like think back on like the eighties and the nineties, if somebody had a product or something that was successful, I think you may have eight, nine years of just kind of being in your own lane and doing your own thing. And anyone that's attended trade shows and different conventions has seen how quick things get knocked off. So like, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. I invest in healthcare. I invest in, and we've done some stuff in auto um, you know, like I said, technology, food and beverage, food and beverage is a great example. If you go to Expo West and it's like one of the biggest food and beverage conventions in, in the world and someone has like a massively hit booth, like their booth's going crazy and everyone can see that there's a lot of activity and they're writing orders. Mark my words, by the time that the next show cycles through, whether it was the, the way their booth was set up or the color scheme they were using or how they switched the packaging everybody's now incorporated something. <laughs> that do. And I mean, then, and the ability to not just see it and be aware of it, but now the access to resources to now go pull that off and mimic it. It's hard to own anything these days because, you know, I still, I own a chain of sneaker stores called center and it center. Like we'll go to trade shows in Vegas or different fashion shows. And it used to be that like, if someone came out with this one particular silhouette or style or whatever, then you just knew like, oh, that's so-and-so. Like they made that. That's mm-hmm. their deal. And now things get knocked off so fast, unless you're really in the weeds of the industry, by the time things really hit the consumer market, people don't really know where what was the origination of that. Because yeah. people have knocked it off so fast that like 
no one ever even really got their 10 seconds of fame to like <laughs> say like, oh, I did that. That was my thing. Yeah. You know, so I tell people all the time the runway for you to just like, I got a good idea. I'm going to go execute this. And then I should be good for a while. That good for a while is not a while. It's, you know, you're going to have to just keep reinventing yourself and staying on top mm. of it. And well, it's pivoting. I think we have so much access to, I mean, and I think social media had a lot to do with it. You see people that launch these things and it's like everyone is going after that just because they see the market, they see the opportunity. Right. And I think you're, I mean, you hear people like you, even with podcasting, like there's so many podcast ads now and it's just because we have access to it and there, it's not as hard to go out and do it. You know, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not like you need a hundred thousand dollars and this whole grand idea and blah, blah, blah to create something and get access to information now more than we ever have. I mean, I say it all the time. It's like content overload. Like you hear so many stories. There's everyone's out there saying something or sharing or whatever it is. And it's easy to mimic something, but your quote unquote spin on it and sell it. And you might. I think that's what's cool about podcasts though, because I I had a business mentor tell me a long time ago that if someone's ever going to write you a massive, you know, seven, eight, nine figure check for whatever it is you're doing, that your growth, your revenue, whatever those, you know, EBITDA, whatever it may be, those are the things that are going to get a buyer in the room, right? So if you don't have a certain number of, you know, headsets or Spotify subscribers or, you know, just you're not moving enough volume, then like no one's even coming in the room, right? But if you get to the point that your EBITDA is strong enough, your growth is strong enough, what really actually then gets the deal closed and has someone sign the check or hit enter on the wire is how defensible your business is. So it's like, you know, the growth gets them in the room, but how how well you can defend your space is what gets people to actually write the check and pay for the business. And I think that's something that people oftentimes over, like they overlook. Yeah, I you know, I got this to a certain point, but how well can you defend it, right? Like mm-hmm. you you're building your castle. The, the your podcast is your castle. You now you've got to build a moat around the castle to make sure there's certain elements of what you're doing that are defensible and people can't now just jump in there. I think that's what's cool about podcasts is it's like if if you're just if this podcast is just you, it's just you being you, who can defend that better than you? It's like you yeah. are you like no one yeah. can be you. You know, and that's what I admire. I love listening to Joe Rogan. I mean, he's crazy consistent because he's just being him. You know, if you like the show, then you like him. And so, you know, I mean, that's the easiest thing to defend in the world is just going in and just being yourself and making sure that. You've got the right content. You're talking about the right things and you're still relevant and the, and the, the right guests want to go on the show. But, you know, business like that, that's, you know, it's shockingly you would think that something like a podcast may not be very defensible. And then I think it actually really is. I think it's, yeah. you know, the more that you put your heart and soul into it, someone else can't just come take that from you. Yeah. So I think consumer products. It's like we all now see the same stuff, whether we want to or not. It's like our phones are definitely listening. And it's like you just see like, (laughs) oh, you know, here this thing emerged. We all saw it, you know, and then whatever. The the quicker it rises, the quicker, you know, it starts to go away. And I think with consumer products, whether it's, you know, Alibaba or Amazon or things like that, there's just it's, you know, it's frustratingly easy for some. If you and I wanted to start a microphone company in 1980, it may take us two years to like figure out who's going to make a microphone that sounds the way we want to sound and that can engrave our initials onto the bottom. We may it literally, we may spend two years trying to find that. And if I bet if we end this podcast right now in 20 minutes, I can have some ordered that are 
custom-made microphones for us. And then a packaging company to package them and then maybe even potentially somebody to market them and distribute them. And, you know, I think that's the part that it's like it's easier than ever to get into something. It's harder than ever to own it and defend it. And yeah, just because there's a lot of saturation, I think with the number of there's a lot of opportunity, there's a lot of people that are wanting to go into that direction or just I also think, too, it's easier for people to be like, okay, this person had a lot of success in this vertical. Like, I'm going to try to go in and put a little bit of a spin and see if it's going to take off in a different direction. For sure. They're not not revolutionizing the industry. They're just like, oh, Nick had so much success making shirts. I'm going to do this a little bit different, find a different supplier and boom. I think the dirty little secret is all the and I hate to put people on blast but like all the the grimy industry of people that only look at search right so they're looking at just every day they're they you know they've got bots that are just pulling down the things that are trying i saw i read an article a few months ago that said that the number one most search trend in women's fashion were like low-rise jeans and so people are like oh low-rise jeans are coming back but i mean there's literally agencies that all they do are spot search trends and then they even know beyond the search trends they know which ones are sort of anomalies and then which ones can be turned into product trends and then how to read between the lines. You know, it's almost like I hate to use another baseball analogy, but it's like, you know, the Billy Bean money ball of, hey, I'm not really going to look at players in their uniform. I'm going to read a stat sheet and I'm going to I'm going to get to know a player by the metrics first. People are now getting to do business like that. Yeah. They're saying like, oh, I have access to all these different things, lipsticks, tablecloths, whatever. Let me now go look and put together this algorithm that tells me like where the search history is going and then create a product off of that, which, you know, it is what it is. I don't, you know, it's, it's not a good look to just rip anybody like making money and having success. It comes across you're being a hater, but you know, and I, it just doesn't feel very authentic and yeah. genuine. And I think, you know, people like you and me, you know, I would love to have authenticity out of the products that I'm buying and know that the person that made them like really, you know, cared a lot about what they did and what went into it. And unfortunately, as a consumer, you know, you don't things can disguise themselves a lot. Like you don't always know which which product and which brand does it mean more to that owner and you know, which one was sort of more, you know, handcrafted versus manufactured by an algorithm looking at search history. <laughs> yeah. And I always say that too, because it's kind of like, and I'm sure this is something that you can touch on with your t-shirt company. Like when you really genuinely care about something and you're passionate about something, you can just tell like, you know, when you love something and you're not doing it for the money, it's like the bots you're putting together business. A lot of people are like, how can I make a million dollars overnight? Or how can I do this? Versus people that genuinely really care and are passionate about something. They're like, even if I don't make money, I mean, that's how it is with the podcast. It's like, you know, I'm not making a profit off a very huge profit off of it. It's like, but I'm still doing it because it's something that I love to do. And eventually I would love to go that direction but it's like when you're when you love something you can just care and like tell and i think social media is where we lose a lot of that authenticity i think it's easy for people to just get caught up in like either lose sight of who they are or i want to be like this person or whatever it is right i could go on a tangent about that no i agree (laughs) i agree and i you know i think you know social media in general has kind of forced us all into i'm guilty of it i do i do way more corny stuff on social media than i'd like to admit (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, why did I even do that? You know, Um, but you see so many people doing it that subconsciously you're like, okay, well, let me, you know, follow along and do it too. But um, yeah, I mean, we've definitely, I think 
If there's one silver lining to the pandemic, I know that unfortunately, the I think the more that things do sort of creep back to normal, the things that, you know, I didn't miss are starting to come back into your life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I know that, you know, barring when, you know, when people were around us were sick or something was going on or whatever, I found that, you know, most of like when we were truly in quarantine, that was probably one of the happiest times of my life. Because if you're a sicko like me and you just go, 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 and you're always about what's next and, you know, am I, you're challenging yourself to be the best. That was the first time in our lives, like, I didn't, there was nothing to say no to. There was no pressure to be this in this place. Like, it was, it was probably the only, whatever, four or five months, six span of my entire life that, you know, I actually gave myself a little bit of a reprieve and just gave myself a break and, you know, wasn't judging myself every day on how much did I get done and did I check off everything on my to-do list and did I do it to the best of my ability? It was like, we're all kind of in this thing together and, you know, I don't, everybody's in a different place, but I definitely feel like I'm back to where things were pre-COVID yeah. <laughs> um, just from a pressure, just from a pressure perspective of just like what I want to see myself get done. So I think, you know, it's it's good to check in every now and then and just like to your point, just remind yourself like why you're doing something, you know, and then just, you know, I, I don't remember where I heard someone say this, but I'm sure it came from some coach or something somewhere. But that you have to remind yourself the 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 want to jobs versus the have to jobs. And I all my jobs are want to. So it's like all the stress. And I mean, it's like if I really get full, you know, you know, all, you know, all the curtains back and then get all the way behind it. I'm choosing to do all this. Like I want to do these things. So it's maybe stress. It may, you may get yourself into some situations that are uncomfortable and, um, you don't want to misguide anyone from a leadership perspective, but I, all the jobs I have are want to jobs, you know? So, you know, when, when you're a single parent and you're trying to, you know, put on for multiple kids and, help other people and do all these things. Maybe you're not getting to pick and do all the jobs that you want to do. You have to do this job because I've got to get through March and I got to make it through April. And then I have to, you know, I think we just really have to remind ourselves of like want to problems versus have to problems. And then just sort of just keep that in balance. Cause is, is drivers as people that want a lot out of life. If you don't put the, if you don't keep some perspective, you know, you just, I think you'll, you know, you'll become a really unlikable person, you know, because the people around you are aware she's in a really good spot. She's got a dream job. She's done all these things. Like you have most of the things that people want in life, but yet, you know, you don't really come across like a person who's necessarily always gracious. That's I know that's what I don't want to be. Yeah. You know, I want to make sure people do understand first and foremost, I feel like I've been really lucky and really blessed. And um, I've, you know, had so many people that looked out for me when they didn't have to. And I'm a byproduct of all those things. But if you see me grinding and stressing about something, it's, I'm not done. I want to keep going, but don't get it twisted. Like I'm super appreciative and very lucky. And, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, win any contests. I just, you know, there's still things that I think we could go achieve and I want to go try to do those. But, you know, end of the day, like I'm at peace with all this. It's a, it's, it's a balance. I mean, it's something that my mom has this conversation with me all the time. I I have always overworked myself. You seem like you're the exact same person and it's hard. She's like, you put all of this on yourself. Like you self-inflict all of the work that you're doing. You choose to teach yoga. You choose to have a podcast. You choose to have a job that's rigorous. Like this is all things. So you can't 
not that she's like, you can't sit here and complain, but she's like, you put all of this on yourself. And I came to that conclusion last week. It was a re- and I'm like, I'm so grateful for everything that I've had. And even though I'm nowhere close to where I want to be, you, I have to. And that was the, my daily reminder today of like, just take a step back. Like you're mm-hmm. where you're supposed to be. Be grateful for everything you've had. There's so much of life left to live. But I think if you're always focused on like what's next or I'm not here or for me, it's like I had to hit six burgers by the time I'm 25. Like and is life going to end if you don't hit that? No, right. but I sometimes get so hard on myself yeah. that it's. Well, or you just have to rem- rem- remind yourself that a great quote is that comparison is the thief of yeah. joy. And it's, you know, whether you know it or you're not by using numbers like that and saying things like that. Somewhere you're probably comparing yourself to something, yeah. you know, something else, a prior expectation or vision you had. And it's like, just don't compare, you know, I mean, it's tough not to. It's really hard <laughs> not to. But I but I do really try my hardest not to ever think about myself in the context of what someone else is doing or, you know, I, I had a lot of friends that went on and had unbelievable baseball careers. And I swear to God, there wasn't one time that I thought, you know, bitter or yeah. why, why not me? It was, you know, why not me? Because they were better than me. And, you know, I got a funny story that when I was playing baseball, if somebody was a big Ohio fan or baseball fan, that, uh, you know, if you grow up in Texas, like you have an ego, right? You think that sports-wise, you're like, you're insulated. You think like if I'm a Texas high school football player and I'm really good here, that I'm just really good everywhere because there's no one better than us. And you think about that with baseball and everything else. So, I go off to play, you know, minor league baseball and I'm overly confident, right? Because I've traveled, I've played in all these tournaments. I, I'm a left-handed pitcher or whatever. And I'll never forget, like, I I had called my dad. I got there and our first round pick was, was a guy who was now a Hall of Famer, you know, one of the winningest pitchers, highest paid pitcher in baseball history, CeCe Sabathia. And CeCe oh, wow. and I, had, you know, we'd played together and we were friends and, and, but we play the same position. And the difference is he's like, you know, six, seven. I'm barely maybe six foot and a half, six, one. He's 290 pounds. I'm 200 pounds. And he throws 10 miles an hour harder than me. And I call my dad that night and the internet was not what it is now. You couldn't just like research and watch film on guys. You can now. And I called my dad and he was like, how's it going? I was like, it's terrible. It's so bad. And he was like, oh, you're being dramatic. You know, you need to toughen up. You're just overwhelmed. I was like, no, my my teammate is like seven feet tall and throws 102 miles an hour. And he was like, you're just making shit up. There's no way that's possible. And uh, so I don't remember. A couple of weeks later, he was like, I'm flying out to see you. I was in, in North Carolina. He's like, I'm flying out to see you. And he flies out. And then like the night that he got there, I think like CC was pitching or something and I wasn't playing because I'm a pitcher too. And so that was my night off. And then the game ends and I'm still in like street clothes or whatever, but I go meet my dad and, and he's like, yeah, you got a problem. (laughs) He's like, you really should think about going back to school. And I was like, I I just didn't, I thought he was going to be like, Oh, he's good. You know, but you know, you're you're just as good. You're you're, 20 years of my life. My dad was like, he's really good. He's a good player, but you, you know, you do your own thing and you're good too. And that was the first time he was like, Oh, you know, you got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, thanks for the encouragement. Yeah. He was like, you need to get traded. <laughs> <laughs> but then I ended up playing with like multiple guys that were kind of like that. And I realized, oh, no, there's just a lot of guys better than me. You know, it just is what it is. So I'm definitely, I think that's, I had, 
I say I didn't have a business plan when I started my first business. I think I had three or four years of riding buses realizing <laughs> that was going to end. I was like quietly starting to build like ideas in my head because I knew that wasn't going to last forever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm over here laughing. It is. I mean, I also think, too, when you look back, I think it when you're always at the top or you're always winning, you're always this. It's hard to have a different perspective. Like, it, you know what I mean? But when you're not the best or and that was when you were like, hey, it's time for me to move on and go do something else. I think it comes at those times in your life. You're like, this served me for a period of time. I was really good. It got me to the place. Right. But now it's time for me to pivot. And I mean, I know it's hard to sometimes admit that like, OK, maybe it's time for me to leave yeah. this or do this. Right. 90 percent of the time it's an ego thing. I deal with this all the time. Um, but for sure. <laughs> no, I mean, I listen, I think and I think. You know, if there's one thing that we should all learn, you know, just I know me every day is just while you are in a situation, I know that like we talk about being present, you know, just you know, being respectful to someone else. And when you and I are doing this, don't be doing this and you know, yeah. try to be as you know emotionally and like mentally present with someone as you can. I also think there's something too, just in general right now. I read a study today that I think the Harvard Business Review was saying that people are planning on staying at their jobs shorter duration than history mm -hmm. and we've known that but it's important to understand it's never going to go back i think a lot of people that own businesses or that are ceos of companies or investors or whatever you've thought like okay this is a trend that's going on you know my grandfather had two jobs in his whole life my other grandfather had one job mm -hmm. his whole life right and then like you know maybe my dad had three and my mom had three well you know now our generation is going to have nine ten twelve I think some people thought for a while that that would be a trend that <clears throat> reversed. It's not going to, you know, and I think people are realizing yeah. now, hey, this is not a bad person or this is not a bad employee. If this person is going to move around and do four or five different things in their career, whereas like, you know, I was growing up with like, hey, if somebody's changing jobs every four or five years, they're flaky. There's something mm -hmm. wrong with them. You hear that I, a lot. I think we have to understand a this is not changing. And so therefore we have to put people in a position almost immediately to be successful. And then I think B, um, you know, it is important for the people that are doing the jobs and planning on leaving that just because you're planning on leaving doesn't give you the right to do a really bad job, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that unfortunately there's times that like you emotionally check out and the, because you emotionally check out and you think that that's not your future, that that may give you the right to kind of just say, screw it and then mail it in. I hope that that's something that we as a society evolve past. Things don't have to be so feast or famine. You don't have to be all in and saying, I'll give you my whole life and I'll work <laughs> here forever or whatever. But it also doesn't have to be where you know, I want to get on the, the, you know, the PA and Walmart and, you know, scream at everyone and tell them how bad the job is either. I hope things do land somewhere in the middle where people feel the freedom and the empowerment to go pursue the jobs they want to faster than our parents did, but they do it with enough pride that they don't burn bridges on the way right. out. You know, cause I mean, I definitely, I knew baseball was over and, you know, i I literally threw every pitch like it was my last. I was like, okay, the odds of me having a Hall of Fame career towards the end of my career, it was slim to none that it was going to miraculously turn around. I was going to go be an all-star. I definitely still try to be the best mm -hmm. teammate and, the, you know, uh, you know, just the, the best friend. And, and when I did play, I tried to bust my ass and do really well. So it's like, hopefully is this, because, you know, I've got friends that are like, oh, I hate my job. Wait till I leave. I'm going to, you know, 
that's really not a, you know, it's not a, the people that get screwed when you, when you do things like that are the customers. It's yeah. like, or you, you, you may be trying, or exactly. Most like, importantly, probably you're screwing yourself over because oh, you know, sure. your reputation is going to follow you around. But, you know, I, I, that's one of the things I have a startup right now that, that is sort of trying to address some of those things, but th- there's, there's hundreds of videos that have gone viral with people trying to top each other on the craziest way to quit and exit their job. And I hate that those are getting like attention that much attention and like that many retweets and shares and likes. And, you know, there was a video we saw at the office the other day that had like, I don't even know, 15 million views. And it was someone like quitting their way and like this quitting their job in this really crazy, crazy way. And I'm just like, it sucks that that person got to the point that they felt like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be that way. But ultimately, I think that person will look back and be like, OK, I'm sort of embarrassed that, you know, I did. I'm now known for that. Right. Because, I mean, let's face it, whether I agreed or disagreed, I'm not going to be super comfortable hiring that person. You know, now that person comes yeah. as a new employee working for me and everyone that works there is like, oh, look how they quit their last job. I think people just need to have a little bit more, you know, presence of mind when they do things that, you know, the stuff that we do will probably show back up again now. Yeah, we talked to Steve talked about that. And my that's my dad has <clears throat> been in sales his whole life, had a lot of success. And he's always like, Aaron, the person you piss off now is going to be your next boss. Treat every single person like that. And I've taken that to heart. And I have. And it goes back to kind of the themes that we talked about, of like dealing emotional versus logic. And I always tell people and I give advice to people at work. I'm like, if you're frustrated with someone, sleep on it. Like I always give myself 24 hours after I've had an argument or anything because I'm like, I'm responding emotionally. I'm saying something that I don't mean or whatever it is. I'll have a conversation with you tomorrow or whenever it is. If someone's sending me an email, I don't know what happened in your day, but I'm just not going to acknowledge that. Because So are you good at that? I am, but that's just be. I like. I do a lot of meditation, that's like awesome. practice and stuff like that. Do you feel like sometimes, like, <laughs> let's just be real, that you don't say things that you would have meant? That's why I say them. Oh, I do, but I'm also just very sometimes direct, and people take it the wrong way. So, like, right. if someone's like making me angry, sometimes I'll just be like, "You're really frustrating me right now," but I'm not going to go into this. We can have a conversation tomorrow, and then. Yeah. It's not to say I've never said something mean. No. Once you I, get to know me. <laughs> yeah. No, I def I. It's just a good rule of thumb. Oh, I, for sure. I like, don't do it, though. I don't do it. Like, <laughs> there's the high road. Like, F you. <laughs> there's the high road and the low road. And I I very, very seldomly take the high road. And and mainly because, like, I don't get mad often. So if I got really. You don't seem like you're. Well, no. If, if I got really mad, it's because, you know, it, something I mean, listen, my have I been wrong? Of course, 100 yeah, percent. Have I overreacted or uh, of course. But f- for the most part, I'm I'm rooting for everyone. Like, yeah, you know, I've just like anyone I've been burnt, burnt. I've had some you know people do some crazy stuff because it's like I'm generous. I want to you know, I, I'm, I'm probably one of the quickest people to come to about like wanting to get a deal done and betting because I meet people that remind yeah. me of myself a lot. And I'm like, I wasn't a person that was bankable. And that ended up working out to my benefit because I tried to go raise money when I did my first startup and people were just like, I don't really understand it. I don't know if that's a market. I don't necessarily think the great example is, is just I, I'll make it short. But I did have a guy who I went to who I thought I really looked up to. He was maybe eight or nine years older than me. Really successful business guy. I went to him when I was starting my first business. So like I buy that equipment. The business starts going well. 
And then as anyone who's started a company knows that when growth happens, I mean, you may need capital faster if your business grows really quick than if mm-hmm. it shrinks really quick. I mean, yep. you always think you're going to have to raise money fast if you're if you're not growing. But if you grow really quick, now you really need money. So I was growing really quickly. So I went to this guy that I thought like 100%. He's going to he loves me. He's going to back me. And he said something really crazy and really rude and was like, I love you as a person. He's like, oh, that's so cute. Or like, I'm, you know, like oh, basically yeah. was like, dude, I, yeah, I love you. Like, I love you as a person. I think you're super fun. I don't think you're going to be a great business guy. And I was just like, wow. And it was almost like he had me labeled as like a certain type of person. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, I don't know what it would ever lead you to believe that like I'm only that. Right. But but he was really, really rude about how he said no. And then kind of going back to the Michael Jordan thing, I definitely did use that as motivation. Now, I didn't think about it every day, but I remember being like, oh, for sure. A, I remember like I'm the type of person that like we're not friends anymore. <laughs> right. Because you were really you could have just said no, like it's not a good time for me. I got some stuff going on that I've got to get sorted out or whatever. But he he used that as an opportunity to kind of say, like, oh, you're a fun dude. I don't think you're going to be a very good business. It's like condescending. When I say there's the high road and the low, I would never go do something like that to someone. But then the moment that he did do that and then we'd bump into each other and he'd be like, hey, man, where you been? I'm like, we're not friends. You don't (laughs) say something like I'm not the type of person like you're not going to say that. And then we're going to go play tennis or watch a movie like you said that. And now we're not friends anymore. (laughs) And I'm going to carry that with me for life unless you came to me and said I didn't mean it, which he obviously meant it. Definitely not a forced comment. So I'm just like, we're not cool. So long story short. Hopefully this person does not listen. Pray this person does not listen. I don't really care, honestly. Why do I care? Um, so, Look at you now. If this is, it goes back to like, I mean, the Michael Jordan thing, but when people oh, yeah. say you can't do something, there's nothing more than when someone's like, oh, oh for sure. you starting a podcast is so dumb. I'm like, yeah, what right do you have to go catch me that? in five years? Oh, and you know sure. who's going to be laughing? It's going to be you. Yeah. And that's where no, I'm going to leave. <laughs> So, but, but then, well, when you, when you reach the top, just don't do what I did because <laughs> I, I was year fast forward, like 10 years later, 11 years later, business has crazy success. You know, our family's benefited really, you know, a ton from this and I'm in a hotel room and I'm for a work deal and I'm looking through an email and I'm trying to find someone that we're doing a deal with or whatever. And just coincidentally, this person has the same last name. I now I haven't thought about this person in like eight or nine years, but I searched the last name in my in my email inbox because I'm just like trying to shortcut to find yeah. this one message. Well, um, up popped the message where I had originally introduced back in like 2007. I had originally proposed this business idea to this one guy who shit all over it. So I write this email and I and I got really emotional because this is 10 years later, right? So whatever. I'm at the time I wrote the email, I'm like 27 and now I'm rereading it at 37. And and I was such a just sincere, you know, heartfelt kid. I was so green, I was so naive. I definitely can see why you would say no cuz like I was so overzealous and just all energy. If you read it and you're kind of a cerebral person, you would think like this person seems dreamy and like they don't seem like the type that's going to go be successful or whatever. And so I read it. And then now the older, wiser, now sort of rich me is like, okay, I'm going to respond 10 years later because he because he (laughs) he destroyed me in his response and was like, hey, we'll meet. Basically, he's like, hey, we'll meet in person or whatever. But like, 
you know, I love you as a dude. You're not a good business person. You're not, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know anything about the industry, blah, blah, blah. And like, just, just really, really just let me have it for no reason, you know? And I wasn't like out aggressively raising money. Like I wasn't asking yeah. the whole town for money. I think he, I asked one person and it was him and it went so bad. I never, I never tried to raise money again. And it worked out to my benefit because I didn't have any, I didn't really, I didn't have debt. I didn't have, yeah. I didn't go out and have 40 investors that, you know, so it like really worked out perfectly for me. But that night, I think I'd probably had maybe a little bit too much to drink, and I got emotional reading my own email and just blasted him. I wrote one of the (laughs) – whatever he did and, like, on a scale of 1 to 10 on meanness, I doubled him and wrote it back. And then I grabbed all these press clippings of, like, the business sale and how much it had done, and I calculated – I went back and was, like, reading him the proposal, and, like, the deal would have made him – I don't even know, like – $40 $40 million. I literally went back and did the math and told him what he missed and what a dumbass he was. And then I heard that he wasn't doing as well anymore. And then after reading that email, it's like not a surprise to me that you're doing terrible. And then, you know, it, I love your Dallas Fort Worth is like still sort of small. So then by the time I got home the next day, he, he had shown it to his wife and then she had shown it to a friend and then it had made its way back to my wife. And she, my wife's like, why do you always have to take the low road? You know, like everyone knows that it went well. You, you did great. Just how, how do you do that? She didn't understand. Like she thought I just drank and then went and like, I'm going to go, you know, I was like, I found the email and I was yeah. not looking for him. I, they have the same last name, whatever. And she was like, either way, you're like the only person I know that would do that. And I was like, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I'm like, I don't take it back. Even sitting here now, like, I think I'd send it again. (laughs) Payback. I mean, it's giving. So and now you're giving people the opportunity. But also, I mean, I guess we're looking at this pop podcast. Looking at it, is that part? Did that situation mold to you and where you are now with investing in startups and giving people the opportunity? Um, is that stemmed from that or do you attribute? Like- I mean, to be fair, I think I'm, I'm not joking. If I, if someone wrote me the email that I wrote him, I probably wouldn't do that deal. We're just, just truthfully, I really would, you know, yeah. but, but I also, I wouldn't have gone in on him and said like, Oh, you don't know what you're doing. And I think I yeah. would have just, you know, I would have. But he knew you as a person. I think that sometimes almost hurts worse. Cause it's like, you know, me as a person. And right. I think when someone knows you personally, like, mm-hmm. Someone that knew me personally and actually knew who I was and said no, that to me would hurt harder because they know how driven I am and like know how much I want something versus if I randomly cold email on something like I do at work, they don't know me right. unless it's crafted with all these, you know, measures, obviously, right. you know what I mean? So right. at that For point, sure. like, no, it definitely, you know, it, 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 being too close with someone or being friends with someone or having history like that can backfire for sure. Yeah. I mean, if, but if, but if, but as long as there's not something in that person's background, that's just like a really big red flag. I would definitely rather fund a deal with someone that I know, you know, yeah. like, I mean, just, I think just human nature, if I could have someone around me, I, I really mean it. I think there's, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people that want people to just, they have no ceiling on how well you want other people to do. And then there's people that want other people to do well, just not as well as them. Um, I'm not that person. Like I have no ce- there's no ceiling on how well I want someone to go do. So if I had a really close friend of mine have an idea and he wanted me to invest and you look at the terms of the deal and he stands to make 
way more than me. I don't care. That's his, you know, that, that if this is his deal and, and, and I'm just, he needs some capital to get it going and I can assist him with that, then by all means, you know, I'm not going to, as my friends would call it, I'm not going to pocket watch like that. Like, I'm not going to count your money and that's not my business. And, but I think there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that are out there. They're like, I want you to do well. And the, but the moment they hear someone did better than them, it's like their true colors really come out. You, you find out, okay, you're one of those. Oxygen takers. We're going <laughs> to. That person would definitely fall into. The, and sometimes you don't know. There's like sneaky. There's like oxygen thieves. They're real sneaky about how they take it. You know, you have a friend who you think your whole life's like rooting for you. And, you know, and then it, there's all these corny sayings about you find out who your true people are when like you're at rock bottom. I think you find out who your true people are when you're at the top. Because that's when yes. you find out somebody, you're like, wow, like I thought this person would be really happy for me. And then they can't fake it. They're so miserable that you're doing well, they can't even hide it. And, and sadly, if every person in the world could taste some success, you'd flush out like mm-hmm. a rat in your own little crew that you were like, wow, like I, mom, I didn't know you hated, you didn't want me to be successful, mom. Like there's like someone that you can't believe it that is not happy for you. Yeah, it's that's something that I've been dealing with a lot recently is just and it's it's hard because, again, like the people don't see your vision, but it just kind of goes back to and like I'm big on like who you surround yourself with, like you're your five closest friends and all that type of stuff. But I, I mean, it's the people that are there for you at your lowest. But I do think too people that can't aren't like don't aren't humble enough to look at someone else and when they've had success and be like, I'm so glad that they got there and learn from them. Like that's half the reason I started this podcast. I'm like, I've had the opportunity to meet so many cool people like yep. you who have such good stories and you're what motivate me and what keep me going. Like I learn and grow from you. You having success is not dependent on my success. Like there's no correlation. And I think so, so much that we're all pitted against one another and we're all like, Oh, well, if, this podcast is successful. The mind can't, that's just not it. People tell me that all the time. They're like, you're entering a saturated market. No one else is me. And it's not in a cocky way, but it's like when you're going into something, you can't have this competitive nature. It's just life is too short to always. Well, And and like you said earlier, if you, if you are going to compete, have your own set of internal standards Mm -hmm. when you're competing against those. Exactly. You know, so it's, it's, X number of quality guests, X number of like quality minutes. It's these questions getting answered in a great way. It's, you know, the lighting, the studio, the sound, like everything. Just compete with yourself on those fronts, but then really block out all of that external. This is who's doing what, when that there's no point, you know? So um, going back to the whole baseball thing, there's a there's a line they would use all the time about the most successful people in the world are realistic self-evaluators, you know? So it's just, you know, you really have to be very honest with yourself about what your strengths and weaknesses are and, self-awareness. you know, yeah, just self-awareness in general, you know? So I, I you know, just while we're on the topic of, of business and, and people I love to ask the question of, about like what traits or characteristics do you see most commonly in successful people? And I, you know, I think the one that gets overlooked the most is like, I always, always say like, it's a mix between curiosity and, and resiliency or curiosity and perseverance. Those two things, if someone is incredibly curious and then also ridiculously persistent, that person's probably going to go on and be really successful in life. So if there's somebody that like I graduated with, 
that's, you know, high school, college, whatever, and they're listening to this right now, and they're like, oh, my God, he slept through half a class, and, like, he got straight C's, or which would definitely happen, you know? My wife was it doing some Pilates bar here in Dallas, and uh, she was walking out of class one day, and this girl was like, oh, do you know a Nick Centerman? She was like, yeah, that's my husband. And she was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. She was like, he was such a dumbass in high school. And my <laughs> wife was like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe how blunt she was. But she was, she was just that type of person. But yeah. my wife was like, well, he's still a dumbass, you know, <laughs> like nothing's changed. But, you know, I, I think that if anyone was to play it back, though, I was incredibly curious. Yeah. Right now, I maybe wasn't the most curious about this chemistry project, you know, but unfortunately, people like me sort of were really bad in hypotheticals and then really good when it matters. And school doesn't always tell that story. Yes. Right. And so like, I just, I, I, I regret it. I definitely wish like if I had a redo in life, I would definitely take school more seriously. Cause I, that was almost like your podcast. If someone wants to dismiss this, they can, if they really want to listen to it deeply and take it to heart, there's a lot of stuff that they could probably apply to their life and have some success with. School is no different. It's a resource and it's what you get out of it. And I was not mature enough to get what I needed out of it. But for someone to say like, oh, I was a dumbass and they didn't see this coming, really weren't paying attention because I was very resilient. You know, I worked my ass off. I, I busted my ass in sports. I, you know, I, I, when I did engage in something, I, you know, you would see that I could take it really serious. And I was really curious. I did ask questions and I was always sort of exploring and you know my parents would always tell stories about like you'd always find the most interesting person in the room and then you you'd pick out that person and then you'd pick their brain on stuff and ask pretty unusual questions and so I just think in general someone who wants to learn and wants to evolve and is open-minded and never willing to settle but then you have the ability to snap on some focus and then just get really resilient and persistent about just going after this one goal, you know, and then now sprinkle in the curiosity again. Now go persevere and then a little bit of curiosity. Those are the things that I think really, you know, all the famous people that we discussed earlier, you know, the Steve Jobs and, and you know, even even sports people. I mean, like a Nick Saban. Right. I mean, he's oh. he's he's reinvented himself probably six or seven different times. You know, he, he there's certain things that he, certain principles that he's very committed to. And if you saw his team in 1999, you'd see some things that you still see now. But then there's there's massive evolutions and growth and changes into the way he looks at it, at a program and success and I think that, you know, those are the two things that I would just tell people. I was like, try to find a way to tap into your curiosities and wanting to learn and wanting to grow and evolve. But then if you don't have the proper amount of tenacity and fortitude, then your curiosity is just going to lead you to like flakiness. And if you're just tenacious and you're not curious, you'll just be closed minded and bullish in situations. So it's like, you just have to be really, really tough and have resolve and then just always wanting to learn more. Yeah. You're so many things. Self-aware. I'm big on self-awareness. There's nothing more <clears throat> unattractive when you're dating someone or unattractive when you're talking to someone that just has no self-awareness or no willing to say like, I'm wrong. Right. I made a million mistakes in my life. And I think it's one of the biggest things to just like, Hey, I made this mistake, but this is the direction I'm going to go. I also think too, curiosity is something, you know, with this, we're going to have to have you come back on. Um, but I think curiosity is something that people overlook or it's forced. 
And I think it's not hard to just walk up to someone and like just genuinely be curious. And I think this is something when I was little, my mom was like, you ask why so many times. So I think I kind of had it in my brain. Like it's annoying to ask why, but now it's coming from a place of like, I just want to learn. And 90% of people want to help you learn. Like you're a great example. I've had so many people on the podcast that have had so much success and they're like, this is what I love doing is sharing with people how I've gotten there because I want to help you. So I just think for everyone out there listening, no matter what you're doing, whatever avenue you're going into, curious, resilience, never settle. I could do a whole episode on that. I don't believe you should settle in any aspect of your life. Relationships, personal, professional. So Nick, thank you so much for coming on. You have so much good insight. You'll be back for a part two. (laughs) He's shaking his head, but seriously, you're reading my mind on so many things. If there's one, two or three last piece of advice that you want to leave the audience with, take it away. Um, I feel like I've talked way too much. That's Uh, what you're here for. Yeah. I would just say, you know, this is, I'm just tapping into so many corny sports cliches, but you know, if you get what would like Denzel say, get knocked down eight times, get up nine. I would that that's it, right? I mean, it's I I I love I love sports. I love business more, and there's there's really really defined rules around sports that you know a strike is a strike, a ball is a ball, a first down is a first down, and I I love that business. Obviously, it needs to be legal, um, <laughs> but you get to sort of define the rules. You know, I read you know earlier that there's a lot of companies right now that are um, offering three-day work weeks. I mean, it's like there's so many little intangibles that you can play with that you have at your disposal. I love the flexibility that business has. And so I would just tell people, you know, like n- nothing is definite. So just if, if you're not where you want to be, then, you know, just just stay at it. Like I said a second ago, remain curious, keep keep trying to learn and, and identifying ways to evolve and get better and then applying the right amount of, you know, tenacity and then just repeat those things over and over. I think you're going to end up, you know, doing really, really well. So that's it. appreciate you having me. <laughs> okay. One last question. I don't think I told you this. So if you, you won't need a second. Um, what are you grateful for? That's how we end every single episode. I love that. Um, grateful to be here <laughs> for sure. Especially after the day I told you I had today. <laughs> he's alive that that seemed like see some small things that seemed really small just being here right now is like a big deal that seemed like a very low low percentage chance four hours ago um no uh not very grateful for my friends and family for sure well thank you for coming on and i'm always grateful for this podcast and friends family health all of the above and thank you guys for tuning in We'll talk to you next week. All the famous people that we discussed earlier, you know, the Steve Jobs and, and you know, even even sports people. Right. I mean, like a, like a, a Nick Saban. Right. I mean, he's oh. he's he's reinvented himself probably six or seven different times. You know, he, he there's certain things that he, certain principles that he's very committed to. And if you saw his team in 1999, you'd see some things that you still see now. But then there's there's massive evolutions and growth and changes into the way like he looks at it at a program and success and i think that you know those are the two things that i would just tell people i would say like try to find a way to tap into your curiosities and like wanting to learn and wanting to grow and evolve but then like if you don't have the proper amount of tenacity and like fortitude then your curiosity is just going to lead you to like flakiness 
And if you're just tenacious and you're not curious, you'll just be like closed minded and bullish in situations. So it's like, you just have to be like, you know, really, really tough and have resolve and then just always wanting to learn more. Yeah. You're so many things. Self-aware. I'm big on self-awareness. There's nothing more <clears throat> unattractive when you're dating someone or unattractive when you're talking to someone that just has no self-awareness or no willing to say like, I'm wrong. Right. I made a million mistakes in my life. And I think it's one of the biggest things just like, Hey, I made this mistake, but this is the direction I'm going to go. I also think too, curiosity is something, you know, <clears throat> with this is, we're going to have to have you come back on. Um, but I think curiosity is something that people overlook or it's forced. And I think it's not hard to just walk up to someone and like just genuinely be curious. And I think this is something when I was little, my mom was like, you ask why so many times. So I think I kind of had it in my brain. Like it's annoying to ask why, but now it's coming from a place of like, I just want to learn. And 90% of people want to help you learn. Like you're a great example. I've had so many people on the podcast that have had so much success and they're like, this is what I love doing is sharing with people how I've gotten there because I want to help you. So I just think for everyone out there listening, no matter what you're doing, whatever avenue you're going into, curious, resilience, never settle. I could do a whole episode on that. I don't believe you should settle in any aspect of your life. Relationships, personal, professional. So Nick, thank you so much for coming. Appreciate you it. have so much good insight. You'll be back for a part two. <laughs> He's shaking his head, but seriously, you're reading my mind on so many things. If there's one, two, or three last piece of advice that you want to leave the audience with, take it away. Um, I feel like I've talked way too much. That's uh, what you're here for. Yeah, I would just say, you know, this is, I'm just tapping into so many corny sports cliches, but um. You know, if you get what would like Denzel say, get knocked down eight times, get up nine. I would that that's it, right? I mean, it's I I I love I love sports. I love business more, and there's there's really really defined rules around sports that you know a strike is a strike, a ball is a ball, a first down is a first down, and I I love that business. You know, obviously, it needs to be legal, um, <laughs> but you get to sort of define the rules. Like you know, I read. You know, earlier that there's a lot of companies right now that are um, offering three-day work weeks. I mean, it's like there's so many, you know, um, little intangibles that you can play with that you have at your disposal. I love the flexibility that business has. And so I would just tell people, you know, like n nothing is definite. So just um, if, if you're not where you want to be, then, you know, just just stay at it. Like I said a second ago, remain curious, keep keep trying to learn and, and identifying ways to evolve and get better and then applying the right amount of, you know, tenacity and then just repeat those things over and over. I think you're going to end up, you know, doing really, really well. So, um, that's it. Appreciate you having me. <laughs> okay. One last question. I don't think I told you this. So if you, you won't need a second, um, what are you grateful for? That's how we end every single episode. I love that. Um, grateful to be here <laughs> for sure. Especially after the day I told you I had today. <laughs> <laughs> he's alive that that seemed like see some small things that seemed really small just being here right now is like a big deal that seemed like a very low low percentage chance four hours ago um no uh not very grateful for my friends and family for sure yeah well thank you for coming on and i'm always grateful for this podcast and friends family health all of the above and thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.